Alrighty, now for the last segment of the show, uh, a lot of you folks listening know that, uh, well, I am a sucker, and uh, one of the things I'm a sucker for is research. I do love my research. I love my comics news. I love physical media, and uh, so I figure what better triptych to take with us through this trek through these 1991 X-Men issues than uh, a certain guide to comics, uh, that, that book called Wizard. And, uh, you know, rather than do this alone, I figured who better than maybe pulling someone from uh, Wizards, the podcast guide to comics over at uh, the uh, the Retro Network. My buddy Adam here, he's going to be talking to us about all that's X in Wizard. How you doing, Adam? Hey, Chris. Excited to be here. Oh, definitely appreciate you coming on. I think this is going to be a lot of fun here. Um, now, these Wizard magazines are just... You know, I, I think I think there's a lot of weird hindsight with the Wizard magazines here because they did they did turn into something. They did turn into like where it was more crass than comic, and then right. it became like more like more about like movie gossip than comic. Yeah, towards the end, it was the maxim of comic books. <laughs> that's, that's exactly sure. it. That's exactly it. But but I mean, there, these these early issues are like a treasure trove of information. Um, and it's it, it, the thing about this is it's not the stuff you see often. Uh, this isn't these aren't, you know, interviews and articles and columns that you're going to see shared on social media week after week after week. This is stuff that you have to actually have the physical copies to uh, fully appreciate, which tickles me in a way that <laughs> maybe it shouldn't. But it does. Um, I just love this stuff. And uh I could go to town reading these things over and over, uh, just finding new information that I could use in a column somewhere, that I could use in an episode somewhere. Just think that they're 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 priceless. These uh these early issues, even going into into the late '90s and into the turn of the century, it's it's really good stuff here. And uh, you know, you do have a show where you're where you're taking a look at every single issue of this thing. So uh, you're in for some salad days, and uh, of course later on it it might be a little bit more difficult. But uh, you know, uh, I do want to ask you, uh, Wizard, what what was your allure to Wizard uh, to start up a show to to make it a focus of uh, of your of your hobby and your creative output? Well, I I would have to say I'll, I'll be very honest, your your blog, your podcast endeavors were an influence in a major way in that. Really? The research side of it that is so apparent, the hours <laughs> that must have been put into that, but the love of the research, I share the same. Awesome. I love the minutia, the little thing that was mentioned here that didn't actually come to pass or it changed, yep. you know, over a few months from the time that interview was given or, you know, the the piece was was written about it. And so to me, as I would listen to your shows and and see like scans from, you know, different comics publications over the years in your blog, like that just got me excited. And I would think back and say, I love 90s comics, but I find so few people that I can talk about it with like a, on a deep level. And then sure. it's almost like you have to have the magazine, like you said, in front of you and then say, it said this right here. What do you think <laughs> about that? You know? And so my co-host Michael was a guy that I had been had on my other uh, podcast sequel quest several times and we would always get to talking about comics. I was like, I think it's time. And I think what it needs to be is something that's a serious look back at the nineties comic book boom 
maybe justify it, maybe vindicate it a little bit, but at the very mm-hmm. least get people back into the excitement of what it was. Because True. we look back at it now a little cynical, but at the time, yeah. everybody was on board, comic book fans and non-comic book fans alike, and we were all united in the hype. And I just wanted to bring that back. And from what we've heard and the response we're getting on social media, people are saying, oh, you've got me back into comics. I'm going to buy some mm-hmm. right now. Or I just pulled out you know, my log box from my mom's attic you know and all that kind of and that that's a great thing about your program is that uh is that it isn't like the piss take on on 90s comics like we see so often where it's just like the you know we make fun of uh, the tiny feet and we make fun of the uh the no pupils and the pouches and the shoulder pads yeah that was all there you know that was all there but i mean this was uh it was it was the thing that was happening at the time, and we ate it with a spoon, you know. Um, I I love that about your show that it is a a fair look and it's a optimistic look at a time that is that is usually just uh, looked at with such like scorn and and re- yeah. Well, and at the and, time, Wizard Magazine was the thing that. In addition to getting us excited, it made us laugh. It made us have fun. Sure with mm-hmm. the comic book medium in the history of comics and what was happening at the time and everything they could have a little fun, you know, whether it was in the, the letters section or just a little side comment here or a little blurb at the end of an article, <laughs> just add in sure. a, a snippy remark. And you would just be like, man, this is like being part of a comic book fraternity. And it was Absolutely. just so much to enjoy on a monthly basis. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and of course there is the, uh, you know, all, all us, uh, you know, young teenage blue chip stock uh, investors, we, uh, we also had our price guide. And, and we're going to we're going to hit on some of the price guide stuff from uh, this issue we're going to discuss here in a little bit. But uh, I mean, that informed so much of uh, of just the comics culture. And uh, I don't know how much of it was intentional at the start. <laughs> I think it was just like a hey, there's a fun thing to do. We'll, we'll price. We'll have a price guide in here. But it, it became I mean, they call it the guide to comics. It became the guide to comics. It uh, it truly did. Uh, where, you know, it's it's like a it became even a collectible unto itself. You know, they could have run Wizard in their own price guide because it was so in demand. And uh, I mean, they they these things were actually flying off the shelves just like the comics were back in the day. We we needed to know. What our what our next investment was going to be, or we wanted to see how our current investment was panning out. It was a uh, it was a strange time. It was a strange time, and it's uh it it had a lot of charm to it, and it's a uh, it's something that uh, I feel like the industry and the comics culture is lacking really badly now. <laughs> no, no, well, this this is my problem though. Was like the other reason I wanted to go back to the '90s is that I I checked out of the current comic book industry so long ago like i keep trying to get back in and there's not an entry point that satisfies and in fact that's what i rely on my co-host michael for on the show is he's still going to the comic shop every week to buy new books and he's filling long boxes with new books that he may or may not read that was my next question this looks good 
<laughs> yeah. And so for me, like I'm going to a comic shop when I can get there and I'm literally going to the quarter bins and I'm looking, you know, at back issues and I want the stuff that nobody wants now because they mm-hmm. still think it's worth nothing. And you can dig into that and say, no, look at what this was, like whether it's for camp value or for just like, you know what, we may have missed something here. We overlooked this in the, you know, in the years that followed uh, its release. And so, yeah, like that's that was the other thing is I kind of almost want to catch up to the industry by going back <laughs> and then be like okay what can i find now <laughs> if we if we go back to uh, 1991 uh, were you uh, you were buying comics in 1991 absolutely yeah i mean i actually i i was d- deep into my collecting that was like right at the the start of collecting as opposed to just picking up a few just issues buying. here and there yeah, and reading. yeah. and cool. so that was where i had uh, i had been given some help by my uh, my friend from school, his dad was going through his midlife crisis and collecting all his childhood <laughs> comics and getting into the speculators market. And so he took us along with him and the fun began. It's oh, wonderful. Now, now, were you an X-Men fan uh, back then? Uh, I was not heavy into X-Men, although my first two comics I, I ever bought were X-related because I okay. bought Excalibur 14 and so, you know, I had, you know, Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler in there. And speaking of Nightcrawler, I also picked up on that same 7-Eleven spinner rack, Marvel Tales 242, which was the Spider-Man mm-hmm. and Nightcrawler team up. Okay. And so for me, like that was, I, I was being introduced to them. And outside of that, I had seen the Pride of the X-Men cartoon in syndication, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> on the Marvel Action Universe or whatever sure. it was that would play. And so I knew the characters from there and then obviously went to an arcade and saw the X-Men arcade yeah. game. So oh, I was boy, very yeah. familiar with the characters, but I never got to the point of, yes, I want to pick this up as a monthly mm-hmm. book. Okay. Now, um, do you do you uh, perhaps own a copy of X Men number one? I'm actually staring at four copies of X Men <laughs> in front of me right here. I was <laughs> prestige been, format, gatefold cover, and everything else. I've been asking all the co-hosts, and this is something we're gonna actually uh, you know pitch out to the uh, listeners as well. I want to know. I want to. I had two questions about this month in comics. Like which which X Men cover did you get? And which X-Force trading card did you get? Mm. So this is interesting enough. So I actually, I have the two copies that I bought as a kid, which, like I said, was like, you know, the super nice, glossy paper version, and then just the standard, uh, you know, newsprint edition. And then recently, my friend gave me his older brother's comic book collection and passed it along to me. Yeah, his brother was like, yeah, you can have these. And he's like, Adam wants these. Um, (laughs) So then I got another copy of the new Santa edition. And then I got a copy of the the Gambit, uh, you know, Psylocke Colossus Rogue cover. Okay. So so I have those. And then, yeah, as far as X-Force number one, (laughs) I actually Mm -hmm. have the cable card right in front of me here. Hey, how about that? Yeah, that that, yeah. that was the biggie back in the day. That, that was, was it. The, that was the one you wanted. Is it isn't the one you want now, but it's the one you wanted back in 1991. That was exactly. the and hot the part. The thing that I discovered in the course of the show, not knowing, was that those X Force cards were considered a subset of Marvel Universe Series Two trading cards. It's so all these Ain't years I thought I had a complete set. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So I finally picked him up. I've got them all. So it's all yeah. good. <laughs> when I saw that, I, then, then the Executioner song came out. And that's something we'll be talking yeah. about in, in a few months down the line. Those came with cards, and I, I was afraid those were a subset of uh, of Marvel of Marvel Series Three. So, uh, God, I, I mean, I was getting those anyway, but it was just like I had a friend who wasn't, and he felt like really annoyed that he was missing out, and I had a good laugh at him. So, uh, it was a <laughs> it was what it was. Um, now, did you have any kind of extended stay with the X Men any time throughout their history and your history? Um, I would say, I mean, if I was going to dig deep into the X-Men, I was probably Age of Apocalypse. I mean, I definitely was collecting those books, at least okay. like to issue two of each book. So I was buying them all and then <laughs> I bought them all again the next month. And then I was like, sure. okay, I'm, I'm hanging in here. You know, I got X-Men, you know, uh, Age of Apocalypse Alpha and all that stuff, you know. Uh, but again, like like really like even just like doing was it x-force was it x-factor was it all of those i never could stick in for very long although i would go back and buy like the x-men classics books okay. so that i could try to catch up on some of the continuity and sure. get familiar that way so i probably had more x-men classics than i had new releases at the time right. which is always my way apparently i'm always yes. trying to catch up <laughs> Now we're going to be discussing uh we're going to be discussing Wizard Magazine issue number two here and this has a October I think it's an October 1991 cover date just like everything we're discussing today and uh, now was this before they started having multiple covers or is it just the one Yes yeah that didn't start actually until issue seven where okay. we just covered with Exo Manowar and the Flash those were okay. the two covers and prior That's to right. that they did do a variant Gray Hulk and Green Hulk Sam Keith cover but mm-hmm. otherwise yeah not not until that point okay so this one is ghost rider and ghost rider alone yes. <laughs> this is, uh, and, and you know it's funny um I, I too am a you know back issue bin diver and cheapo bin diver and quarter bin diver and over the years i've come across like ridiculous things i i, I found the both both parts of days of future past in a dollar bin i mean i wow. found I found Watchmen number one in a dollar bin. I found the first Hellboy in a dollar bin. I found the first Doomsday. I find a bunch of stuff there. One thing I've never, ever seen, even in a regular back issue bin, was Ghost Rider number one, the the Danny Ketch version. Mm. I've never seen it. I don't know how. I've never actually laid eyes on that comic book. And uh, I see this cover here, and it taunts me. Not that I'm... (laughs) You know, not that I'm like hell bent on reading it. It's just, uh, it's just one of those things that's weird that it just never, never actually came to the surface in, in you know, 30 years of a uh, of digging. But uh, you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> now, there are a few X-related things in this magazine that we're gonna be discussing. The first of which is an interview with Chris Claremont, and uh, this show is called From Claremont to Claremont. So. Uh, this is all about the not Claremont stuff, and uh, we got a Claremont interview here, and this is funny because this interview goes uh, – it, it goes along with the idea that he's not going anywhere. You know, it's uh, it seems like he is in this for the long haul here. He's actually laying out some plans for both of the X-Men titles here. You know, we uh, as, as we talked about earlier in the show here, we have the uh, blue team in X-Men, we have the gold team in Uncanny, and uh, – Claremont here, he's on board. He looks like he's talking all about it here. He says that the X, X titles are going to go their own way, you know, so they're going to split 
and uh, there'll be some intermingling here and again. And uh, I love this, though. He claims that Tom DeFalco, the editor-in-chief, his original vision for this is, and this just tells you a lot about the state of the industry in the 1990s or the early 90s. His vision was they were going to have the same five characters in each book, right? And uh, the stories were just going to bounce from Uncanny to X-Men back to Uncanny to X-Men, basically making this book a bi-weekly title where each individual book was not going to spotlight characters. They were going to spotlight the, the artist with uh, Lee on X-Men and, uh, and Wills Protasio on Uncanny. I mean, that's weird, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's it's a strange concept. Yeah, we'll just we'll flip flop back and forth and not, you know, sort of, you know, you could get your continuity every other issue. Yeah, exactly. And and it's like rather than like, okay, well, we'll have Wolverine in one book, we'll have Storm in another. It's like, no, who cares about them? We've got Jim Lee on one book, Will Spertasio on another. It just blows my mind that, that that's just how much the worm has turned. Uh, even in like the previews parts of Wizard. They always list the artist first uh, in these early issues. So it's like it's like X-Men is by Jim Lee and Chris Claremont. And it's, Although I've, I've always wondered that, like really going back, because, you know, if we, if we were in the 70s and the 80s, how much was it? OK, this is a Neil Adams book or yes, is this or a John Byrne Neil book yep. or, you know, sure. like. Like, are you looking at the writer or are you looking at the artist? You know, was it always that way or did we, you know, because we seem to spotlight the 90s as that time where it exploded, which sure. I don't think is unfounded. But at the same time, you know, the visual aspect of comics is usually what grabs everybody to begin with. It does. It is the it is what leads you in for sure. That yeah. is a very good possibility. And I, I do have some fan scenes from the 70s, and uh, you you might be 100 percent right. <laughs> I think it is. It is the. Uh, I, I don't think it's the uh, the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams uh, hard traveling heroes. I think it, back then it was the Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I think you're on it there. Um, now, funny enough here, we have, uh, you know, we have Tom DeFalco coming in with this this weird idea. And, uh, and, and it would eventually come to that where the X books were basically a biweekly. But that's not like in, that's not until like Alan Davis comes in like 1998 ish. Um, but uh, Chris Claremont and Bob Harris, his arch rival here, have a rare moment of agreement. <laughs> they, they had a common enemy in Tom DeFalco, which is uh, is kind of cute there. Um, now, Claremont states that the group assortments, which are the blue and gold, uh, they were implemented in order to, quote, create new synergies among the characters. And this actually answers a question that I had um, earlier where it's, it struck me as odd that they would have Cyclops and Jean Grey on two different teams. You know, mm-hmm. that just seems strange, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like, well, you know, we just, you know, you see where they go from there. Because even, you know, the X-Books to come, you see that Scott has a little bit of a wandering eye anyway. So yes. <laughs> they yes, play with that true. drama either way, if they're in the, on the same team or not. It's true. Yeah. And it and oddly, they like you figure if they were going to split Scott and Gene up, maybe they'd put Wolverine with Gene. And, and they didn't mm. do that either. Wolverine and Cyclops are hanging out together. It's a very weird time. Well, it's, uh, speaking of which, that's the other thing that Claremont cites at a certain yep. point is he says that, oh, you know, the characters have matured and, you know, Wolverine is not going to have the same issues, you know, yep. that he had before. <laughs> the old Cyclops and Wolverine will not reemerge, you know, and it's like, <laughs> well, no, it pretty much did. I mean, nothing, nothing changed there. They, they get prickly around each other. Exactly. Exactly. And it's funny. Cause, uh, 
like uh, we're not gonna like go too deep into like the claremont plans the you know the the x-men forever sort of stuff where he was going to uh what he was going to do to wolverine if he would have stayed and all that good stuff because we we might be talking about that on this show in a few months so <laughs> we we're going to do some mirror uh mirror matches here uh later on but uh it, it is interesting here that it's it's just wild that he seems just very gung-ho he seems like he's very excited for this new chapter, and uh, and I'm sure he sees dollar signs with uh with Jim Lee, and and I mean, uh, the the X Men number one is is legendary. It still holds a Guinness World Record for the most books sold. I mean, Chris Claremont bought a plane, you know. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, I mean, this was you know you know milk and honey here. They were doing great. Um, so we have this like weird interview because i mean we have hindsight we know how it went mm-hmm. um and he's all pleased he's pleased he's like yeah i can't wait it's gonna be great working with jim and wills is gonna be wonderful but the interview wraps up with an epilogue and uh, the epilogue is by patrick daniel o'neill who conducted the interview and he says this may well be the last interview chris claremont gives concerning the x-men for quite a while shortly after this conversation chris announced that he was resigning from the writing chores on X-Men and Uncanny X-Men, following a series of editorial differences with Bob Harris. I invited Chris to do an addendum to the interview, an invitation he politely declined. For the next several months, Chris will be touring the country, promoting his comics work and his new novel, Grounded, as well as working on a third novel. So uh, that's different from, uh, you know, fans these days are used to this stuff kind of hitting social media just as quick as it happens. Uh Usually by the end of the day, there's a backlash, and sometimes decisions are reversed and unreversed and reversed again in the course of hours. Here we have an interview given, and before it went to print, something changed. And uh, I, I gotta wonder how many how many X fans, how many Marvel fans, how many comic fans learned from this interview that Chris Claremont's 18-year association with the Uncanny X-Men was was coming to an end. Yeah, it's kind of like, how else really would you know until issue two came out and somebody else's name is in the writing credit and somebody you know very well, but it's not Chris Claremont. And you're saying to yourself, oh, but yeah, it, it's it's such a, a, switch, a switcheroo at the end. You're just like, oh, OK, he's gone. I see. Well, uh, many happy returns, Chris. And then, yeah, you look at yourself and you say. How much did it matter? That's what I think is the interesting thing to look at a Mm -hmm. comic fan at that moment. Because you're like, yes, he had been writing it for, what, 17 years at that point. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and and you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, yes, he kept the characters consistent, all those things. But look at the art. It's amazing. Look at what Jim Lee's doing. Is Jim Lee staying on the book? Then I will buy it next month and the month Mm -hmm. after that. And so (laughs) literally, you know, the artist had won. And I know that in uh, the Claremont's X-Men a documentary there's quite a bit of you know discussion about all of that where mm-hmm. i think he at that point had settled in and felt he had done so much for marvel for so long with the x books you know being their top selling publications and then what was happening here you know first like they had x factor they did that without him because he didn't want to do it because yep. <laughs> he was already a little bitter and then now you got this hot 
artist that comes in who wants a lot more control over plot and is not going to follow, you know, the plot outlines that you guys have agreed on with the Marvel method. So Mm -hmm. then Claremont only has, you know, a few uh, days or hours to get the dialogue in there to something that is not what they agreed upon. And there was frustration. And so he's just like, fine, I'm out of here. Like that. Mm -hmm. Nobody's on my side. You literally just care about selling the books. So you don't care about the integrity of the yes. characters <laughs> so he just takes off and it's just like wow it's intense and it's funny because uh his uh his old uh, running buddy john byrne is going to run into the same exact issue with jim <laughs> lee and wills Protasio in the coming months and it's uh <laughs> i remember uh, i was reading an interview where byrne said that he bought his first fax machine because he had to they had to you know they were running so late that they had to fax him things instead of sending him things <laughs> And they, it was just constant back and forth at like the like the 11th hour before things went to print. And uh, they would uh, they would send him updates to pages that he'd already scripted because they decided that they wanted this action scene instead of the other action scene. It, it sounded like, uh, you know, the inmates running the asylum. But I guess when the inmates are bringing in millions of dollars, you you let them let them do what they want. Um, it's just very, very, very different times, very different times where. Like looking at Marvel Comics today, I almost feel like the artists are uh, are undervalued. Like they're almost an afterthought to whatever you know big name architect writer they have on the books. And it's uh, I think it's a shame. I, I think that the artists don't really get the chance to shine. Um, I feel like we might have overcorrected, you know, where it's not like a uh, it's not as even as maybe it should be. It's just all about the writer. It's all about the vision of the writer. And uh, we'll just get whatever artist can can do it. It, it yeah, seems it's almost like you, you only get excited when an artist who was big in the 90s comes back. <laughs> and then you're true. like, oh, now he's drawing this book, you know. But then otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely the writers have the marquee name, which, you know, yeah. I'm sure is kind of a... <laughs> You know, sour grapes to some who were just like, what happened during my era where I was trying to give mm-hmm. them something good? All they cared about <laughs> was a splash page, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, another thing, and, th- and this is funny, um, people who have listened to anything that I've said or read anything that I've written, they know that I'm very cheap when it comes to comics. I buy a lot of comics, but I buy them cheap. Same goes with magazines. I'll go to I'll dig in old magazine bins. I'll find, you know, amazing heroes, comics feature, comics journal, whatever I could find. It's usually a buck or below. Now, this issue of Wizard was one that I was missing. I'm missing the first two issues of Wizard. And uh, I found it in a bin for eight dollars and I bought it for eight dollars because it had this one page in it, this top 100 that I knew would uh, would work on this show, even though I'm sure I could have Googled it. I needed to own the physical copy so I could take a picture with my phone of a physical copy of Wizard Number 2. And so I did. And uh, we will read from you the top 100 books here. The the book Only the books we're covering. We're not going to go through the entire 100. But the top eight, which is pretty interesting here, the top eight books on sale this month are books we discussed this episode. And uh, the first five are the five X-Men number one variants, including the wraparound, which is number one. Uh, you know, the, the book had a cover price of one dollar. The wraparound one had like a three ninety five, I think. And that was the top selling book of the month. The four dollar book back in 1991. That seems crazy, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you're like, wow, you know, we 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 really forget, especially in the modern age, when you are always paying four or five dollars yeah. for a book, that that was a special price for a special issue, not mm-hmm. you know the standard. You know, so it limits your choices at the store when you go in. So yeah, <laughs> that's that's huge that people are willing to fork over that much and mm-hmm. so many times over, most likely. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there are people who bought all five. It's if I had uh, the money and the interest, I'm sure I would have. I, I didn't have either at the time, so I didn't. Yeah, but, uh, I, I had a friend who even traveled outside the country, and while he was traveling outside the country, he found copies of X-Men number one. <laughs> so he has wow. four editions as well. Oh, that that that's pretty awesome, though. That is pretty cool. Huh? Now, the sixth highest selling book, and we don't actually have sales figures. It's just a list. Um, Uncanny X-Men 281, the you know the first gold team issue where, uh, where poor dear beef passes away a guy named beef is killed um (laughs) the seventh book is x-force number three eighth book is x-factor 71 so x-factor broke into the top 10 which uh you know i i don't know how it was doing before this uh wills protasio was the artist on the book so it might have been a pretty hot book at the time i just don't have any numbers um then the rest of the books that we covered here wolverine uh, number 47 comes in at issue at number 12 and uh, for such a rotten issue, that's a really good number. Um, Excalibur number 42 is the 19th best-selling book. Marvel Comics presents 86 and 87, or 25th and 26th, respectively. And uh, the final one here, uh, way down the list at number 76, is Alpha Flight number 101. And Alpha Flight being that low, it feels like it's too high even there, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's very strange uh, that Alpha Flight would show up at all. And I think even funnier <laughs> is one that I noticed that just jumped out at me is that at number 49 is a reprint of Giant Size X Giant Men size. number one. Yep. So mm-hmm. that that's that is higher, you know, maybe uh, justifiably so than Alpha Flight, any Alpha Flight book. But <laughs> I found that quite <laughs> interesting. It's a reprint. Oh, yeah. And it's basically right in the center of the list of the top 100. That's crazy. It's crazy. Now we have some coming attractions here. Two of the big coming attractions are Xbox. Go figure. Now next month we're going to be discussing both these books here. It's a it's a Spider-Man X-Force crossover which combines the forces of Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld. And I, I don't think you can get any more 19 early 90s than that. Actually, maybe we can because these books were all drawn sideways. <laughs> you put them on their side to read them and uh yeah have you ever tried reading these oh yeah i've got them right here yeah, yeah they, <laughs> i have those issues it's wild they they are not the funnest thing to read um i'm always reminded of that story where uh rob did an entire issue of hawk and dove sideways and uh i think it was carl kiesel had to like chop the art up and fix it <laughs> he had to make all the sideways panels the right way and uh he finally rob finally got his chance to do it here with uh with the spider-man and x-force team up here that uh we'll be going deep on next month uh another one here uncanny x-men number 282 it's solicited as an all battle issue which uh might not get you very excited um, now, what also might not get you excited is they don't even mention that it's the first appearance of Bishop. I wonder if they didn't even know. 
Well, yeah, it's strange that Bishop doesn't get mentioned. I think that is very possible that they they saw solicited <laughs> and all they saw here was that the Hellfire Club teeters on the brink of total destruction at the hands of the upstarts, the, the evil <laughs> new mutant team. So it's like they thought that was going to be the big news. The upstarts. Yep. Yes, we talk about them all the time these days. <laughs> Oh man, the upstarts! They uh, and it's funny we talked about this during the uh, the uncanny uh, segment. I thought they had such potential. I thought that was such a cool. I mean, these are guys who they kill, you know, VIP mutants for points. It's a group of like gambling guys who are trying to get points to be better than the others, and they only get points by killing mutants. That could have been so huge if they only let it be, you know, like. <laughs> I don't think that they actually ever killed anybody. I the two people that look like they killed in Uncanny 281 didn't die, so it's like and I, they weren't uh, responsible for killing Beef. <laughs> well, actually, earlier? yes, 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 Beef did. Yes, Beef did fall at the hands of Trevor Fitzroy, who was an upstart. Yes, ah, so I get, Trevor Fitzroy is now point. the king. <laughs> <laughs> he is the king of the upstarts for killing poor, poor Beef. Now (laughs) we have some capsule coming attractions here. Uh, Excalibur number 43. Uh, We hinted at this during the Excalibur segment. Captain Britain versus Nightcrawler for the heart of Megan. At the end of Excalibur 43, uh, Megan, uh, she uh, pecks Nightcrawler on the cheek and Captain Britain does not look happy at all. He he looked at him like he had lust in his heart. And uh, (laughs) it just uh, wasn't going to go well. Um, Wolverine number 48, uh, he is done with Tracy Kins, the the drunk driver, and uh, he is going to start the Shiva scenario, which feels like it probably should have happened this month, considering all the sweeping changes in the X-Men universe right now. I think the big Wolverine story probably should have started this month. It didn't. Um, X-Factor number 72, as promises more on the assassination attempt of Jamie Madrox. Uh, X-Men Volume 2, Number 2, The Mutants Head to Asteroid M. And uh, Deathlock Number 5 features a guest appearance by the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. How about As that? The they popping up everywhere. Oh. I love that name, the Doom Busters. It's loud and proud <laughs> on the cover. And I, I actually makes me want to find that issue now because that is just hilarious. That is wild stuff here. It's it's funny when I started putting together the uh, you know the the germ of an idea of doing this uh, this show, I thought about doing all of the cameos, like actual like deep analysis on all the yeah. cameos. But I mean, this show is already like seventy three hours long, so it's uh, <laughs> I I couldn't imagine it's like yes, and in, in this episode, this issue of Guardians of the Galaxy, they fight Wolverine skeleton for two panels. It's like, no, no. <laughs> No, can't do that. Um, another thing here, we can do some uh, Q&A here. Do you want to be the Q or the A? Uh, I will happily be the Q. How about that? Okay, now this is a segment in the magazine called Ask the Wizard, where, where you know, regular old folks, regular old comic book enthusiasts, they send their letters to Wizard Magazine uh, in hope that they learn something about a comic book they have a question about. So why don't you hit me with the first one? I'll see how I can answer it. All right, Adam Kama of Ramsey, New Jersey. Why does Polaris of X-Factor experience growth spurts, and what happened to her magnetic powers? 
Well, you see, in Uncanny X-Men number 250, Zaladane stole Pat Polaris' magnetic powers. This kid is probably like, who is Zaladane? Yeah. Uh, giving, or who, who is that? Uh, now, giving her super strength, size, and invulnerability in its place. Since then, these newfound powers have faded in and out randomly, but we may have seen the last of them in Uncanny X-Men number 280. On a side note, Zaladane met her fate at the hands of Magneto in issue 275. Next question oh. is a biggie for, for this time. Yes. So, Michael Hilson of New City, New York. Who is Cable, really? Hmm. Marvel isn't telling Cable's origin right now, but everyone's noticed. everyone noticed it when he used his mutant powers in X-Force number one to make tools fly around. Was Cable manipulating magnetism? Has anyone noticed how much he looks like Magneto? No, not really. Only future issues of X-Force will tell the... T- I mean, he has white hair. That's it. Yeah, white hair, you're Magneto. That's how it goes. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Magneto, he's notable for having that big scar around his eye, right? Magneto, <laughs> yeah. it must run in the family. That's. Well, I, I'll I, say, when Jim Lee's drawn him, they do have a, a striking <laughs> similarity, actually. They all have that very strong chin. They all... Yes. <laughs> it's, I just... I But I, I love this question, though, because... This takes you back to a time where we where like we didn't know things and we were like actually like foaming at the mouth to know and speculation was huge. I, I've told the story before about you know being in the comic shop during Executioner Song and hearing hearing like seasoned comic fans because I was just a dumb kid saying like oh I wonder if Cable's Cyclops' son and I'm just like Cyclops has a son. Oh, tell me more. You know, you, you sit at the learning tree here and you, and you get all this information. And uh, we just don't have that anymore. We don't have any of that kind of wonderment anymore. And when they try to do something like that, it, it, it just doesn't it never, they never really stick the landing. And I find that uh, so many of the big reveals over the past, I don't know, decade or so. They're they're spoiled before they come true because either Marvel or DC will like get all giddy that someone from USA Today is like calling them on the phone to ask them questions about something. So they'll be like, oh, we got a spoiler for you. You can can post it the day before the book comes out or one of the professional reviewers will will spoil it for you on Twitter the week before it comes out. That's that's how I had, uh, you know, the uh, Mizies Pitalik reveal uh spoiled in in the recent superman rebirth books some some joker on uh, on twitter who had a comp copy spoiled it and uh that happens a lot and it really just takes the fun out of even bothering to speculate because so often you're not even going to get the opportunity to experience it this way the way you're supposed to experience it uh, how do you feel about uh, about spoiling, uh, you know, big reveals? Um, well, yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, information does travel so much faster now. It literally traveled in print to a store back in the day. So yes. all you had was somebody's theory in a letters section mm-hmm. or some editorial in a comics publication that somebody would say, it looks like it's going this direction. Yep. You know, you didn't have like 30 fan theories a day on YouTube oh, yeah. channels and then you you kind of put the pieces together like yeah it can only be one of so many theories it's probably that one rats 
you know <laughs> yeah that it just spoils it so yeah it's it's kind of you know you and you can make the justification well it's it's how it's told it's how it's presented you know you might you might not worry about having the ending spoiled but yeah unfortunately it makes it a little less fun these days oh, it does. and and because i mean back then so many things were unknown i mean we didn't know Cable's origin. We didn't know Wolverine's origin. Shatterstar shows up and like people are like, is he related to Longshot somehow? Is you know, it's all the all these like weird things. Dazzler's pregnant and they're like, is that Shatterstar in there? It's it's awesome stuff back in the day where where you actually had that wonderment and stuff. Uh, one thing that I remember, um, I don't know if you read Grant Morrison's run on X Men around the turn of the century. I remember seeing it. It was very okay. stylish, but I didn't read it, it heavily, though. Now, the whole time, they're building up to a reveal. Actually, we didn't even know it was a reveal. There was a character called Zorn, who uh, who they found in a Chinese prison. He was supposedly had a like a tiny sun in his head, like, you know, a microscopic, or maybe, maybe a bigger than microscopic, but something with the power of a sun in his head. So he wore this metal mask, and... Uh, he was just a member of the team. He started uh, as a teacher at the school. He was teaching like the special team, you know, the, like the remedial class. And uh, he's helping everybody out. He helps professor X walk again. It's all this awesome stuff he's doing. And they reveal in one, one issue toward the end that it's been Magneto the whole time. Magneto has been in this mask. He, you know, he had nanobots and he was controlling nanobots and Xavier's spine to let him walk the whole time. It was just an awesome reveal, but I got to the comic shop the day that book came out, and the guy behind the counter goes, "Do you believe Zorn was a uh, Magneto?" Oh. And I'm like, "I'm like, dude, I'm here to buy it now." <laughs> I didn't know. I've been reading this for like four years, and he's like, "Oh man, I can't believe Zorn's Magneto." It's like you're holding my copy in your hand, dude. And you should and, not uh, charge me for it now. He didn't. You just, you just he hand didn't. that over. Yeah. Oh, good he, dude. Good I, I told him I wasn't going to pay for it. I said, I'm <laughs> taking the book, but I'm not paying for it. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's all right, man. Uh, but even in this case, with the cable mystery, I don't know why they spoiled that so soon, because on the cable card, the trading card, it says his doppelganger is Strife. Like, that was very <laughs> early on. Like, they have a guy in a mask, and they literally take it off, I think, by issue three or something yeah, he, like that. It, it was a, it, that's how X for, that's how New Mutants number 100 ended with uh, oh, Strife okay. taking off his helmet. Yeah. 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 So that was the big like. <gasps> what was our what is the last question we have here? All right. Well, all the way from Nome, Alaska. It's oh, your pal boy. and mine, Phil McCrack. Phil McCrack. <laughs> <laughs> with a photo that looks like it's his last known <laughs> photo i mean it is i don't know who this guy is but uh i don't know that i'm also buying that he is phil the crack <laughs> i'd like to think he is oh but phil asks i noticed that john byrne is writing the x books now is there a possibility he'll draw one too doesn't look that way everyone is more than happy with the artwork that jim lee and wills potasio provide in the x-men and uncanny x-men even though many collectors consider Uncanny X-Men issues 108 through 143, when John Byrne and Terry Austin supplied the art, to be the best X-Books ever, Byrne had repeatedly said he'd never return to draw the X-Men after he left. Now that he's writing both X-Men titles, maybe someone, somewhere, could talk him into doing some art. But only time will tell. And uh, John Byrne will come back to uh, draw X-Men. It won't be one of the main titles. It'll be X-Men Hidden Years. 
where uh, he attempts to fill in the uh, the gap between uh, the last you know, the the uh, issue sixty six of the original run and Giant Size. Um, Which I feel like is personally where John Byrne belongs. He doesn't yeah. want an ongoing title. He's like, I'm going to fix this here. I'm going to yeah. explain this here. <laughs> and that's what I exist in the comic book space for. Don't try to rein me in. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So uh, it, it would be many years before he comes back, but he uh, he would, in fact, come back. But uh, I, I just love the fact that this that this column exists. <laughs> it's it's great. Um, and it's. It feels almost like if you're if 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 you know anybody listening is a wrestling fan here you know you have a uh, you have wrestlers give interviews on the show but then they can also do like the shoot interviews like where they're talking to a, a third party someone not part of a company and they're just telling stories that's kind of the feeling you get from Wizard because they they you know these aren't you know being approved by Marvel these answers I'm sure I mean I don't think Marvel wanted them being like yeah it looks like Magneto it's like what do you stop it you know. I, I just love that it's like the unofficial official answers that we're getting here, and it's uh, and it was all we had, and we loved it <laughs> back in the day. Um, now the the final thing that we're going to look at for the issue uh, is uh, going to be well, actually one of the final things we're going to talk about in the issue is uh, some notables from the price guide. This is something I, I'd like to continue doing here, just to watch the ebb and flow of the early. And mid speculator market here, um, just picking, you know, random X books here that were notable and some, you know, number ones. Uh, we start with Excalibur number one that has a nine dollar value. I and it's d- worth mentioning that when Claremont leaves, he's also leaving this book as well. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think he he only did like the first bit of it. Oh, OK. Uh, yeah. I don't remember who was writing it right before Alan Davis came. And it might have been Claremont. He might have done a stint on it, but he did. Uh, he did launch it uh, back in the day. But uh, and, and Excalibur number one is a is a Claremont book. But uh, nine dollars for Excalibur number one is uh, about eight dollars too high. <laughs> um, I'm sure I see I see this thing in the in the bins a lot. Uh, now, did, uh, did you. Uh, what what is your history as a as a bin shopper back in the you know ye old 1991? Did you mm-hmm. pay the big the exorbitant prices? Did you uh, did you save nope. up? A I, couple I was weeks? always in the back issue bins. Yeah, like like I literally was not heavy into speculation. I would walk the rack okay. and say this looks good, this looks good. I'm already reading this, so on and so forth. Then I'd spend the other half of my time at the shop in the back issue bins, just pulling out really interesting stuff. And mm-hmm. then ultimately uh, I did go to mile high comics opened up a superstore in Anaheim, California, you know, the, okay. the hometown of Rob Liefeld. And I lived just about <laughs> 20 minutes away from there. And so <laughs> I would go to that store and they would do these auctions. And so like the only time I ever really bought an expensive book was, uh, you know, I, my dad was there, you know, <laughs> doing <laughs> his bidding for me on my behalf. And I got spectacular Spider-Man number one, I think for like $35 at the time. Oh, wow. And then Secret Wars number eight oh, for like wow. $25. <laughs> so like the, the, those are my big purchases and I still have those to these day, but, you know, to this day, but that's about it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, now, another X book here. Uh, it's it's over at this point, but it uh, still looms large. Uh, New Mutants. Now, issue number 85 was the first Rob Liefeld 
has a value of $5.50, which, to be honest, in 1991 seems a little low. Um, jumping ahead, a couple of issues, issue 87, the first cable, $40, which, you know, it, it, growing up, that first cable was like a, it was an $80 book always. <laughs> it was never anything less than that. Um, uh, and New Mutants number 98, first Deadpool, $6.50. Wow, if only, right? <laughs> oh, that is the that is the only issue of New Mutants that I don't have. And uh, I passed it up about 10 years ago for $20. I passed it up. I'm like, ah, I'll find it cheaper than that. Nope. <laughs> I mean, I feel like people got a smirk out of Deadpool at the beginning. And it wasn't until years later when he got wackier that he became this iconic character. And that's what's strange is like, yeah, you kind of like, Oh yeah, he's just kind of, he's a wacky killer. All right. That's cool. Now he's like, Oh, he's off the deep end. This guy is a, you know, this guy is a, represents my mindset. Yeah. I get Deadpool <laughs> gets me, you know? No, he, he was, a. Uh... He was really good during the uh, the Joe Kelly run. Uh, Joe Kelly did the first ongoing of Deadpool during the Heroes Re- Re- uh, Heroes Reborn uh, Marvel Universe era. Um, Joe Kelly did a, an extended run, which was really, really very good. Uh, really fleshed out the character, made him three-dimensional. Uh, Christopher Priest would come on uh, to take over for Kelly, and uh, he was good as well. He was pretty good as well. Then, they, then that's after that is when it got like to where it was like a Looney Tunes cartoon, you know, like uh, the slapsticky stuff. Uh, they did like a four issue riff on the death of Superman and funeral for a friend. Um, he met, he fought like a, a very thinly veiled Lobo. It uh, got, it got to the point where it was just very, very cute. Um, and that's kind of, that's when they ended that volume. And that's kind of when I ended my association with the character. I've tried getting back into him again and again, but uh, you know, I I have a like an aversion to Shield in in Marvel Comics because I think that Shield is everywhere and they need to not be. And it seemed like the like the last two Marvel Nows that they launched, everything was predicated by Shield involvement. And uh, Deadpool was like sharing his brain with a dead Shield agent. And I was like, okay, can't do it, can't do it. Yeah. I'm tapping out. Um, number one hundred of uh, New Mutants features the first X Force. And this is funny because it has a $4.50 value, but the second print has $5.50 value, which uh, seems like premature. Because I know these days, since the second prints were, are generally printed in shorter supply than the first prints, and the first prints are just so plentiful from people dumping their collections, the second prints are the ones that are usually the ones that are a little bit more pricey uh, these days. Now, uh, how how do you feel about a second prince here? Do you consider second like a like if you had the first appearance of Cable, but it was like the gold cover second print? Would you still consider that you own the first appearance of Cable? Uh, no. I mean, I, I'm definitely a first print type of guy yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was just at that time, it was just 
when they did the variant on that second print, it meant so much to everybody. I mean, Spider-Man yeah. number one kicked it off. So oh, yeah. now you could say with any book, we're doing a second print and people are like, oh, OK, that's a collectible. That's going to yep. be even more, you know, and then they only for about a year or less. Yeah. <laughs> if you turned around <laughs> and sold it right after you picked it up off the shelf, that's about the exactly. only time to add value. Yeah. <laughs> Another one of our books here, uh, Uncanny X-Men here. Uh, Look at some first appearances. Uh, number 244, the first appearance of Jubilee, only $2.75. That's weird. Even weirder, issue 266, the first appearance of Gambit, has a $4 value. I mean, I, I, I'm i on record as having bought the first appearance of Gambit for $0.08. Cents. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I found it in a dime bin, a, a $0.10 cent bin at a half-price books. Uh, that uh, had a 20% off sale that day. So I got the first appearance of Gambit for eight cents. Uh, um, deals upon deals. Yeah, I, I would have paid, I would have gladly paid $4 for it. <laughs> but uh, it, it is worth noting that uh, this issue, the first appearance of Gambit, is listed in the Wizard Comic Watch for hot books. And it's right next to another book that I don't own. I don't own either first appearance of the Wilsons in comics. I don't know... I don't own Slade Wilson or Wade Wilson's first appearances. (laughs) And uh, that is New Teen Titans number two. Uh, But for Gambit, it says, uh, I don't know French, uh, but it says, Il fait très chaud, maybe? Whatever it is, it's French for it's hot. Not only is this book hot, it's scalding. X-Men 266 introduces one of the hottest new characters this side of the Mississippi, the Creole mutant Gambit. And uh, when I typed Mississippi into the notes, I did spell it out in my head. I, I, <laughs> can't I, I just help never it, right? can. Yeah. <laughs> no, we've got like these like low prices for these first appearance of uh, of characters here. But the first Jim Lee book, issue 248, has a ten dollar uh, ticket on it. So that's a uh, just another uh, just another indication of where the industry was at. Um, yeah. Well, and in with, contrast to the first Liefeld book, you know, you say, wow, it's almost double for Jim yeah. Lee. And it just seems like I, what people realized is I think a lot of people also really enjoyed the character designs that Rob Liefeld, you know, created. But mm-hmm. Jim Lee, you just respected his art so much. Yeah. Just like yeah. anything he touched was gold, whereas Absolutely. it was specific issues of a Liefeld book. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there was a uh, very iconic, uh, speaking of Jim Lee, uh, you know, just being able to just do magic on the artboard here. There's a one issue of Uncanny X-Men that has a very popular cover, an iconic cover. It's issue 268. It features Wolverine teaming up with Captain America and Black Widow, which was actually the first second print that I bought back in the day. Uh, It was just laying there on the counter at a comic shop and it had the cover price of a dollar, I believe. And it was for a dollar. I'm like, I'm like, you're kidding me. This is a dollar. I see this thing on the wall for like, you know, 20 bucks. He's like, oh, it's a second print. I'm like, oh, OK. So I bought it. I've since gotten the first print because I'm an idiot. But that was my that one stands out to me all the time because it was my first knowingly buying a second print book. And uh, here in 1991, it has a value of five dollars and seventy five cents, according to Wizard. Um Wolverine, uh, the couple of notables, uh, issues 41 and 42, both feature Sabretooth and Cable. They're worth $5 and $4, respectively. Now, this one really kind of blew my mind here. X-Factor, number 63, the first Wills Portacio art. Now, Rob Liefeld was, what, six bucks? 
550 for Liefeld, 10 bucks for Jim Lee, 11 dollars for Wills Protasio. I think everybody was just looking for the next big guy, right? And Wills, he was the last in that chain, I feel mm-hmm. like, of that initial run where it's just like, I mean, whatever you think of also all the the image creators and everything, the founders that went on to form that company, he's always the last on the he's list. At the end. He's, like, <laughs> he's the other guy. Yeah. You know? But for this moment, for this year coming out here, like he is the big guy that everybody's watching and hoping he's going to be iconic. That's great. And, and he, uh, you know, he, he had some uh, struggles uh, when Image started up. He had some family issues. So right. his yeah. his uh, wet works uh, was delayed many, many years and mm-hmm. uh, almost to the point of parody. I remember reading actually in a Wizard magazine. It was a it was a 1993 year render. And as a gag, they did a uh, they said, what is what you know, what is the comics industry going to look like in 10 years? And they do. OK, let's look at 2003. What's to come? And it, it has like wet works upcoming. You know, like it still hadn't come out yet. <laughs> now, for X-Force, which is brand new at this point, uh, it number one has 11 variants based oh, okay. on not, not only the trading card, but the color of the UPC box. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at that point, they're just like, like, what can we change? What can we change on this cover and give you a variant? And I think people were just, you know, studying every inch. I mean, nobody had ever paid attention to a UPC before. And no. suddenly Spider-Man number one comes out, X-Force yep. number one, and you're just like, okay, I guess I got to pay attention. <laughs> it's it's the thing now. It's like a, It's like when people were going nuts buying Beanie Babies, and then people were like, wait, wait, don't pull the tag off. Oh, 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 put 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 this put this plastic clip on the tag to protect it. <laughs> what an what? industry, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, the most valuable version of X Force number one comes with a cable card, naturally, and it has a white UPC label, and that is four dollars and fifty cents. I think the book had a dollar fifty cover price on it because of the card. Now, my card, as I've mentioned many times this episode, was Sunspot and Friggin Gideon, and uh, that was the least valuable has a value of $2.25. Still 75 cents over, so I, I you know, that's that's a big deal, but uh yeah, that that's uh that's the uh the lay of the land for X-Force number 1. X-Men number X-Men volume 2 number 1 which just came out. All versions are still cover price here. 3.95 for the wraparound, a buck for the others. Uh just some for good measure. So we can uh, all kind of kick ourselves for not uh for not having discretionary income back in 1991. Um, Giant size X-Men number one, 155 bucks. Whoa. Yeah, it's like it's like you could sneeze that, you know, right yeah. now. Uh, uh, X-Men number one from 1960, $1,800, a little bit more pricey. Uh, Incredible Hulk number 181 featured a first appearance of some guy, $265, which is nothing. Uh, Avengers annual number 10, the first appearance of Rogue. Six bucks. That's 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 another one I got for eight, eight cents. But uh, six bucks. That's a uh, a pretty low for that. I thought. I thought that was uh that'd be a pretty good steal. Uh, back in 1991, finding the first appearance of Rogue for you know just a little over five bucks. That's pretty. Yeah, cool it feels here. like Rogue was always there, and yet it, she didn't really care until her redesign by Jim Lee, right? Yes. It was like, oh, yeah. same with Gambit. Like, he had existed mm-hmm. for a few years in that continuity, or maybe just a year at that point, but he was just like, yeah, he was there, and then he, <laughs> all of a sudden he's in this book. It's like, okay, he means something now. I get it. 
Absolutely. Now, uh, there's a feature called Toying Around that I, I want you to uh, I want you to talk about here. Uh, Mr. Brian Cunningham wrote it, and uh, it features something near and dear to a lot of us. Yes. So uh, this is a, a discussion about the action figures of the day, right? And of course, the biggest thing that was on the horizon that was coming out here was the Toy Biz Uncanny X-Men action figure line. And it had just launched. In fact, it is, I believe, on the, the back, back of X-Men number one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it, it's there telling you can get Cyclops, Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, Archangel, Juggernaut, Apocalypse, and Magneto. And it was a pretty strong lineup there. And I, I think it's really interesting is like Brian Cunningham in this article, he's mentioning, you know, he's like, I like this one, but I also like this one. I like this one too. Like he basically he's just them. saying they're all great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it, the bottom line was it had been so long in coming to get X-Men oh, action yeah. figures. Cause at this point, all you had had was what I believe just the Wolverine and the Magneto from the Marvel superheroes, secret wars. Secret wars. Yep. Yeah. And that was it. And, and you had to deal with that and say, okay, these are my <laughs> guys. All right. And so now, you know, this begins. And as we know, I mean, the, the, I was literally at the toy store at my local target or Toys R Us weekly buying a new x-men figure like all through the 90s like just Mm non-stop x-men figures and they kept pumping them out and many times just repaints and reissues but um the thing i find so interesting about this too is that the uh we're just talking about deadpool right and so at the time again deadpool eventually comes out here in just a, a few months and his action figure at the time, I remember being kind of a peg warmer in my oh, neck yeah. of the woods. Like people didn't really know who Deadpool was. They didn't care. I mean, if, and so if you, you know, four ninety nine is usually what they went for back then. Nowadays yeah. going for like forty nine ninety nine on the secondary oh, yeah. market. So it, it's kind of crazy. Uh, but Chris, did you have a favorite of this run? I'm very curious when you started buying these figures, did you buy them all? Did you buy just a couple? I bought them all, um, and and there's there's a story that Cunningham tells in this uh, in, in this uh, this uh, article here about shopping at Genovese, a uh, a East Coast uh, pharmacy. I don't know if it's even still around, but uh, he found a Martian Manhunter action figure that he really wanted to buy, but he was a teenager. And the girls at the register were people were girls from his school, so he was too embarrassed to do it. And uh, that 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 really got me, because <laughs> that is exactly how I felt as a you know as a teenager trying to buy these figures. And just like you, I was at the Kmart's and Doggett's every week buying these things. It, when they didn't have them in the in the actual you know department store, I'd have to buy them at the comic shop for like twice the price because they right. were specialty and. Oh man, it, but it, that was the only place that I wasn't embarrassed to buy them. Is the thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I remember I had to seek out because I, I would have to if I wanted Rogue or Beast or Morph, I had to go to a comic shop. That was the only place you were gonna find those guys. I actually I had to find those. There's a, there was an I don't even know if this store is still around. It was called Service Merchandise. Do you remember Ooh, that place? I've, I've heard of it. Yeah. I, okay. that, again, I think that was more of an East Coast thing, but I've I definitely so. heard of it. Yeah. I think so. And the thing of it is, it's like it's this weird catalog store that like you it it's a catalog, but you go to a store. So like you go to a store, you look at a catalog, you tell them what you want and they bring it to a window. <laughs> and and it was so weird because that, that's that's where I found uh, like 
that entire field there, that, the rogue morph uh, beast, maybe Professor X, too, if he was part of that run. But I couldn't find those anywhere, uh, not even at the comic shop. So I had to, I went to service merchandise and had to order them in, from a catalog so they could be brought to me at a window, which was very, very bizarre. But I, I, I ate these figures up. I still have them out in the garage. I bought the vehicles, the crappy vehicles, the awful play sets, the Danger Room play set, yeah, which was danger. garbage. I had the Wolverine oh. dress-up set. Oh, the claw and the mask. I had it all. I, yes. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I actually created much in the Liefeld style. I created my own superhero called Nightblade. And he basically Ooh. just looked like Wolverine, but his mask was all black and he wore a leather jacket. And so I put black electrician's tape over my Wolverine mask. I'm like, now I'm Nightblade. <laughs> I, th- I think he was in Youngblood. <laughs> Very possible. <laughs> But my my favorite one here uh, from this first run was uh, was probably Cyclops. I, I've always loved Cyclops uh, and his, his eye beams actually. Well, he he lit up. It, it didn't really shoot beams, but he did light up. Now, what um, always has struck me in retrospect, you know, with these figures is they hmm. boasted the uncanny X-Men. But if hmm. you look at them, half of this line are X-Factor characters in oh, sure. X-Factor outfits. You know, and it's yeah, so strange true. that you get true. Apocalypse and you have Cyclops wearing his X-Factor costume and Archangel, mm-hmm. who, you know, had all his machinations going on there. So, yeah, it's it's really strange. Yeah, and, and Nightcrawler was on Excalibur. And, yeah, so the only X-Men here were Wolverine, Colossus, and Storm. And I, Magneto, poor Magneto. Uh, he, he just looks like the kindliest old man when you take his helmet <laughs> off in this one. Like, he just looks like he'd be there to, like, take you for an ice cream cone or something. He doesn't look evil. He doesn't look maniacal. He's just like, oh, let's have a, you know, let's have some Werther's Originals and then some, you know, Pepperidge Farm stuff. And he Grandpa, can so you take that peaceful. weird piece of metal off your chest? Because why was that an action figure? Why, why was his chest magnetic and you just stick a thing on him? I don't yep. understand. <laughs> he had like he had those little round he had the round peg on his on his palm and he had the metal he had the uh, magnet on his chest. Nightcrawler had suction cups on him, and uh, like he had a suction cup on his knee and on his hand, so like you couldn't really do anything with him unless you were sticking him on something. Oh man. I love that Brian Cunningham is just so psyched for these because they're they're not great. Yeah, in retrospect, <laughs> I love them, but they're not great. The second wave was like leaps and bounds ahead oh, of what they were totally. doing. But that's how Toy Biz always was. Yeah. They would release something quickly to get in on a trend, and it was terrible. Batman mm-hmm. 89 figures, yep. even like yep. the DC superheroes figures, like all those were just terrible. But eventually they would figure it out and get good sculpts, at least with this line, with all the Marvel stuff. And unfortunately, all the good sculpts would be off scale. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like like strong guy is shorter than havoc. <laughs> it's very bizarre. So yeah. bad. So bad here. Now <laughs> there is some random news bits here. You wanna you wanna cover those here for uh, for the Yes. Uh, I, I just found this interesting too, because again, you're talking about the buzz of the era. What was the excitement around the X books? And so there is actually an ad for a comic convention that is in Washington State for the Seattle Tacoma Comic Con. And they're stating that Rob Liefeld and Todd McFarlane are going to be appearing and you can actually win X-Force art as part of an hourly door prize giveaway. Plus, autographs are free. 
try what? to get that nowadays. Yeah, free oh, autograph. Uh, how many hours did you have to wait in line? Probably not that many back then. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they were actually giving away issues of X-Force number one to the first 500 entrants to the con, along with issues of Spider-Man one and two. So uh-huh. I don't know which was more desirable there, but I'm willing to lean towards the Spider-Man number Probably one at the time. Spider-Man. But yeah, <laughs> still very exciting if you were going to that con uh, to have those yeah. artists there. And soon you will see them all over the place. I mean, that's when the, you know, the rock star element of their personas uh, took took shape, you know, at these cons. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, because like going into the mid 90s here, the image guys go on tour. Like there's like a Youngblood tour and and there's like a, a Brigade tour. Like they actually toured malls and stuff to to show yeah, off and the just comics. the production values of those mm-hmm. appearances were amazing. Like the Bad Rock costumes, the oh, guy in yeah. the chapel costume, you know. And like at a, at one point, Rob Liefeld even created an entire, basically what was the Youngblood version of a Quinjet, and you could walk wow. through it. And it had, oh, like, wow. you know, here's Shaft's bow and here's, you know, all those types of things. It was crazy. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's, that's more of those niceties we just don't have these days. Nope. It's, uh, it's definitely something that's uh, that's sorely missed. Uh, just the excitement, the passion. Uh, and and I, I hate getting on, you know, current year comics, but it's like these are people who, who loved comics. And uh, almost everything that we're covering here. Well, actually, everything we're covering here, these are comics by people who love comics. And that's something that is also missing these days, because I think a lot of folks see comics as a stepping stone to other things, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and uh, would jump just as soon as they had the opportunity. And uh, these are also people who put skin in the game. Rob Liefeld created characters. Todd McFarlane created characters. All of these guys created characters. Um, we don't get that anymore. We might get like the 15th Spider-Man to show up and the 37th Ms. Marvel, but we don't get new characters. And uh, it's a, a, a damn shame. And uh, by living vicariously in the past, <laughs> as we do and as we have for the past several hours of this program, uh, we hope that we uh, brought a little bit of the uh, the whimsy and, uh, and magic of of the early 90s and yesteryear of comics because uh, – yeah, it's just not there these days. Uh, you have any uh, particular thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, unfortunately, just the way, you know, you just look at Comic-Con to where it became a pop culture event. Yeah. I think I didn't I hear a rumor that they're even taking out the comic from Comic-Con at some point. Um, I, I feel like a that's lot of something them are. that's in the works. Yeah, because yeah, I guess Comic-Con, I guess San Diego, like. I don't know if it's like trademarked it or they made it so other states can't use it. So other states had to like scramble to rename it. And most of them took comic out of the title. I think the one we have here is the fan fusion. It used to be Phoenix comic con. Now it's fan fusion. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I just feel like, you know, as you, you look at how popular comic book movies are and all of that, it really is just kind of the, the play place of any creative talent. And they're like, well, you know, I, I could make a splash here and I could yep. reinvent this character mm-hmm. or whatever I'm going to do. And then suddenly I can, you know, move on and, and out. And so, yeah, yep. it's definitely, if nothing else, you know, like we say, there's the, the cynicism and the people who point fingers 
Peters at at the hype around Liefeld and all those guys at the time, but they were so passionate. Like, yes, they created derivative characters, but it was just because it was the same thing you were drawing in your school notebook. You loved comics and you one tick off. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it's trapper keeper art. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's all the stuff that we loved and uh, the stuff that we copied. And, and these these guys were fans of the people who came before them and they respected the people who came before them enough to want to be just like them. And uh, it, it's it was just such a wonderful time. And uh, hopefully <laughs> cynicism or not, we're able to share some of that with you here. Um, but I think that's probably all we've got. Uh, X-related from uh, this issue of Wizard, the Guide to Comics, uh, issue number two, October 1991. But before I let you go, uh, how about you uh, You do some plugs? Yeah, well, if you enjoyed what you got here, how would you like it expanded even further on a bi-weekly basis? Yep, Wizards, <laughs> the podcast guide to comics, where uh, my co-host and I, uh, Michael Canetti, joins me so that we can really dig deep. We have lots of fun segments where we kind of play some games. We really uh, look into whether it's the price guides, whether it's, you know, just the the hype around Rob and Todd were keeping a running tally about how many times they're mentioned in the magazine throughout the publication history. We even uh, we find ourselves uh, digging deep into the world of the gimmicks, which the 90s comics are so popular forward so you can actually mm-hmm. kind of track okay DC was trying this and Marvel was trying this and now image is boasting this. So uh, lots of fun to be had. So you can definitely find us over on the Retro Network podcast channel, whether, you know, it's uh, any of your favorite podcast uh, apps. You can find us there uh, or we're on YouTube as well. You can find us uh, online at Wizards Comics on Twitter or at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram. And we have just long conversations with everybody back and forth in between episodes. So we'd love to have you there. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes, and all of the, all of those uh, links will be in the show notes as well, so uh, you don't have to worry about having a pencil at the ready at the moment. So they will be there for you, and they'll be clickable and findable, and uh, I definitely highly recommend you do so. Um, but yeah, that's uh, about all we got. I want to thank, uh, want to thank you so so much for hanging out with me tonight, Adam. This was uh, a lot of fun, a long time coming. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you, uh, you you showing us uh, some of the stuff out of the uh, wizard's hat as it uh, pertains to uh, to the X-Men. Yes, very exciting. And uh, I definitely enjoyed our first team up and look forward to more to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will hold you to that. So, <laughs> so we will talk to you again next time. And uh, I will send this episode rollicking to its final conclusion. Right after this. No place to run, no place to run. The mutant has now begun.